Well, all right, everybody, we got a lot done already. Good, good for us. Uh, a number of years ago, I was going through some boxes in my dad's basement, and I found a box full of letters, old, old letters, and I kind of thumbed through them and then took them home. And it, over a, several months, I went through them. And, and when I said old letters, I mean old letters. Like some of them went back even before the Civil War. And, uh, and it was really kind of fun to go through those and decipher them and uh, figure out kind of maybe some of the family story that was included in that box. But I found this letter. It's not the cheeriest letter. I was literally sitting there and being like, this is not going to be a fun start to the sermon. Um, so, uh, but I found this letter. Um, and there's a picture of it here, even though you won't be able to read it. This was the letter. It said, Dear Daddy, please come home. I just can't stand this any longer. Vincent is so blue, he cries, and I never can go on. I know it's awful, but I'd rather lose the whole than go on like this. It is not reasonable or sensible, but I just can't help it. Please forgive us, yours, Flo and Vincent. This letter is dated May 5th, 1931. Uh, Florence was my great-grandmother, her husband was Harry, and they had one child, my grandfather, Vincent. And I don't know all the details, which kills me. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. All that I can really piece together from some other things is that Harry had to leave their home in a small rural town in southern Illinois to make enough money to support their family. And they were apart for quite a, a, a large amount of time during the Great Depression. And at some point, uh, Florence and Vincent just couldn't take it anymore. And they said, well, hey, whatever it costs, we know it doesn't make sense, but please come home. We're so sad. We can't do this without you. And, uh, and Harry came back. Harry came back to southern Illinois, and somehow uh, they lived a nice, long, happy life. But what's interesting to me about this is, is that they saved this letter, right, that this letter was there for me to find, that there was something about this. There was something about those words. There was something about, um, about the emotion that was captured there that they thought was worth saving. And so I can just imagine Harry saving that letter and then that letter persisting in their household for a very long time and then somehow going down to my grandfather and then somehow getting passed down to my mother. And then here I have this, this snapshot, this picture of what was going on in their life. And I don't know all the details, but I know that they cared for one another. And I know that something very hard was going on. And there's something similar to what we're going to be studying today in 2 Timothy. So if you grab your Bibles or one from the pew in front of you, that's where we're going to be. We're, we're um, jumping right into 2 Timothy as we're in this new sermon series called Everyday Christianity. We're looking at these three consecutive New Testament books of 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And here's what you need to know about 2 Timothy is it's probably the last letter that Paul wrote um, that we have recorded for us in the Bible. He's very near the end of his life. He's in a Roman prison, and, uh, and church history tells us very shortly after the writing of this letter, he is going to be executed um, by the Roman Empire. And so he's writing this letter uh, as a kind of reflection on his life, and a kind of reflection on what he thinks is most important. He tells us the reason in particular that he's writing is that he wants his friend Timothy to come to him. It's very similar to what Flo, Florence had written to Harry, come, come back, we need you, is kind of um, Paul's, Paul's emotion here. And, uh, and so we're going to see this play out, and we've got a whole chapter to cover. So let's go ahead and read that, uh, and we'll dig in. This is uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to pick up in verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. 
I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. God, we ask that your spirit would minister to ours and remind us of the deposit that you have placed with us, the faith that you've given us, and that we would remind the deposit, be reminded of the deposit we have placed with you, our very lives. God, would you bless this time? In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, obviously, way too much uh, there, not a lot of time, so I just had to choose. <laughs> I'm going to choose three themes. We're just going to chase really quick through this passage. Those themes are really simple. We're going to look at the necessity of tending our faith. We're going to look at the encouragement of faithful friends, and then we're going to look at the faithfulness of the one who calls. So the necessity of tending our faith, the encouragement of faithful friends, and the faithfulness of the one who calls. Let's jump right into the necessity of tending our faith. You know, we know that Paul is writing to Timothy to ask Timothy to come and visit him, but he doesn't waste this letter just on, hey, come see me. He's going to fill it up with instructions, and he's going to fill it up with, with teaching, and he wants Timothy to, to be encouraged with the words that he can share, the, share there. You know, they didn't have a digital society. They couldn't send emails or quick text messages when someone came to mind, and so there would be so much weight of connection in these kinds of letters. Paul wants to tell Timothy the most important things that are on his mind. We can imagine Paul in prison, literally physically in chains, and what that would have been like. And he's sitting there, and he's contemplating what is most important. What can he tell uh, Timothy? And he's probably dictating this letter to someone else who's writing it down, and he's reflecting on what really matters. If this is the last thing that Timothy hears from me, what does he need to know? 
And so for Paul, he has these, these critical things. First, he wants to remind Timothy that Timothy's faith is the real deal, that his faith is genuine. Look back at verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul wants to begin, begin by telling Timothy, Timothy, this trust you have in Jesus, it's real, it's genuine, it's the genuine article, it's not faked, and in case you've ever doubted, because we get the sense from some of Paul's writing that maybe Timothy's a little timid, that maybe Timothy is a little fearful, we get the sense that Paul wants to remind him, hey, this is the real deal, you really trust in Jesus, you really have this faith that has been poured into you by your mother and your grandmother and by me. I think we all need that kind of encouragement from time to time. Sometimes I need people outside of me saying, no, this Jesus stuff, it's real. Like, you've got this. Like, you really do trust him. We need to be those, those reminders to each other that the faith that we have in Jesus is, is that we're sure about it. Because don't we all, like, aren't we all our biggest critics? <laughs> like, we're all, our, the, we, if no one doubts us more than us, usually, <laughs> right? And so Paul first wants to remind Timothy, hey, this faith that you have is real. And then he's going to give these five, these five imperatives, these five commands, these five encouragements. Okay, because your faith is real, Timothy, here are five things that you need to do. And they're sprinkled throughout this passage. He, um, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy is aware of some things that he can do because his, his faith is genuine and because it's real. The first one comes in verse 6. And he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Specifically, this Paul is saying there was this fire that was lit in you, Timothy. This fire was lit in you when you received this calling into ministry. That's what that vision is of the laying on of hands. Um, Paul is saying, hey, there was this moment when we set you apart for the special gifting of the Spirit so that you would serve, um, serve the community, serve God in this special way. And he's saying that's like a fire that got lit in you. We all know that the tendency of fires is to go out unless it's tended, unless it's cared for. And so Paul says, fan that fire into flame. Paul says, do what it takes to build those embers back up into, into active flames. Um, you know, the image here is like being, uh, is like camping, right? And you have a fire going at night, and it's time to go to bed, and you kind of bank your embers and your coals, and you hope that they stay warm, because in the morning when you wake up, you're going to need to use those to get a fire going again. I think what's also implied here and that we need to hear is that sometimes, friends, sometimes the call of God on our life it can, it can fade for us. Sometimes it can feel like it's going out. Sometimes it can feel like it's burning a little dimmer. And Paul wants to remind Timothy that he has a responsibility to tend to that gift, to tend to that call, the same responsibility that you and I have, fan our gifts into flame. Next, Paul says, his next imperative is don't be ashamed. In verse 8, he just says it very clearly. He says, because of these things, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. You want to know who knows shame really good? Is anyone in here a sibling? <laughs> right? Like, um, I, so I have a twin brother, and I remember secondhand shame, right? Like, does anyone remember when your sibling just does something totally embarrassing, and you're just looking at them like, what are you doing? 
you're making us look bad, right? You're making us look terrible. We all know what that's like. For me, it was especially, you know, I remember walking down the halls of my middle school and someone would come up and be like, you would not believe what your brother did in class. And be like, I can't control that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, why is this on me, right? You know, but we all know what this is like. We all know what it means to be associated with something that might feel shameful. All you got to have is a family to know what that's like. But, but, Paul and Timothy, they specifically live in a culture where shame is a big deal. That shame comes upon you or your family or your close friends if you fail to act in accordance with the obligations or expectations of society. And so Paul knows there's a possibility that as people look at him in prison, a political prisoner for preaching allegiance to a risen Savior who was also a crucified criminal over allegiance to Caesar, right? That that could be a shameful act. And Paul says, look, don't be ashamed of this truth. Don't even be ashamed of me. What do we do when we're ashamed? What do we do? We hide, right? We cover up. We withdraw. We pull back. And so this second imperative is really important. He says to keep that flame going, to to keep your faith tended. Don't be ashamed. Don't pull back. Don't hide from who you are. Don't hide from the gospel. Don't hide from its implications. Be bold. So Timothy, Fan your gift into flame. Don't be ashamed. In the end of verse 8, he says, and share in the suffering. Share in suffering for the gospel. Paul's reminding Timothy that part of the, that the partner of gospel ministry is suffering. That the partner of following what God wants you to do is some major suffering. Paul said it really clearly in the book of Philippians. He says, it's been granted unto you, meaning to all of us, it's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That those things go together. And so the third imperative becomes share in the suffering. Don't, don't try and live your life that avoids difficulty. Don't try to live a life that's so safe you never encounter obstacles to what it means to be a follower of Christ. So Timothy, tend your faith by fanning your gift into flame, by not being ashamed, by sharing in suffering. And then he says in verse 13, the fourth imperative, follow my example. Verse 13, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. What do we need to do? We need to make choices about what we follow. There's echoes of this in other places in Paul's writing. He'll say things like, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. But Paul is reminding Timothy and therefore reminding us that we have choices to make about what we will pattern our life after. We have choices to make about what sets the direction and the values and the, and the, the like, uh, purposes of our life. And Very specifically, a way that we tend our faith is to choose to follow the example of Jesus and choose to stick to the sound teaching that has been passed down to us about who he is. So Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you've given. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Timothy, share in suffering. Timothy, follow the right example. And finally, verse 14, Timothy, guard the faith that you've received. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You know, in the ancient world, they didn't have banks or safe deposit boxes, right, the way we have them. So if you had a thing of value, you had to figure out how to protect that thing of value. They didn't have home safes, right? It was kind of the reason sometimes they find random things buried in the ground because that was the closest you got to a safe back then, 
right? And your money wasn't just like ones and zeros on a plastic card, right? Your money was money. It was coins. And so if you needed to travel, you had to like calculate in how much weight, right, your actual material goods were going to take. Like how much do I need to bring with me? What is safe to bring with me? And you probably made a, a decision like if you needed to leave your home or you needed to go and do something, you needed to leave some of what was of value to you with someone else for safekeeping. And so when Paul says here in verse 14, he says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He is using this image of like, it's time for me to leave home, and I'm going to take these things that are valuable to me, and I'm going to give them to someone I trust so that they can hold on to them, so that they can keep them safe, so that when I return, I can get them back, and they won't be disturbed, and I'm not going to have any losses. And so what Paul is saying here is, Timothy, the faith that you receive, that genuine article that requires safekeeping, You have been entrusted with the very truth of God. You have been entrusted with this ministry to tell other people about him. You have been entrusted with knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now keep that safe. Guard it. Protect it. Jesus talks about the things that may threaten our faithfulness. In particular, in his uh, parable of the, the seeds or the parable of the sower, he says that there's things that threaten our continued faithfulness. Among them are cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of this life. There is a theme that can be traced throughout the New Testament that this good truth, this good gospel that has come into our lives is somehow in danger if we don't tend to it, if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't do the things that keeps it, that keeps it safe. And so here's Paul saying, here's what it means to tend to your faithfulness. It means fanning into flame the fire. It means not being ashamed. It means being willing to suffer. It means following the right example, and it means guarding the faith that you have received. The beautiful thing about this is we can't do it alone. This, you will also notice that a theme in this passage of Scripture is what? The faithfulness or the encouragement that comes from faithful friends. The encouragement that comes from faithful friends. Paul nor Timothy can do all of this on their own. They need other people. And so you see, some, you see a negative example, right? We see down in verse 15 where, um, where Paul says, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, really dramatic, Paul, right? Well, first of all, um, he had no conception of the continent of Asia. That was not a thing. He was thinking about Western Turkey, right, where he had planted a bunch of churches. And even then, was it really everyone, Paul? Like, this is probably definitely hyperbole, right? But you get this flavor, right, that Paul feels abandoned, that Paul feels deserted. Paul feels like people he thought were his friends turned out to be something different. In particular, he names Vigelis and Hermogenes. And it's just one of those moments, do you ever like overhear like a conversation in a public place, right? You're like eavesdropping and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to know what's going on, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, oh, there's more here and I'm not catching it. That's what's happening here, right? There's more. Timothy and Paul know all the backstories to Phygellus and Hermogenes in Asia. We just don't. And I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I knew what was going on, (laughs) right? But they're in the negative example. Paul is telling me, hey, I've been abandoned. Paul is saying, like, the absence of good friends and faithful companions is devastating. The betrayal of good friends and and close companions is devastating, and it is for us as well. But then he gives a positive example. 
right? And that positive example follows right after is a man named Onesiphorus. Um, I worked on that one, you guys. <laughs> Good luck with that. And you know what? It does like, you, you can ask Google to pronounce it. Google doesn't get that one right. It's Onesiphorus. Um, Onesiphorus, this guy from Onesiphorus comes from Ephesus, and, uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's come to find Paul in prison. Now, Rome was a city of about a million people at that time, and there weren't directories, and there weren't phone books, and there weren't, like, um, you know, centralized prisons. There were prison, there were prison guards who basically ran prisons out of their own homes, and so we know that Onesiphorus had to search diligently to find Paul so that he could refresh him. As a matter of fact, we're told what? That he was not ashamed of Paul, that he brought comfort to Paul, that here's this example, contrary to these other people, here's someone who actually went out of their way, took great risk, great personal risk to care for Paul, to be his friend. Paul needs people like Onesiphorus. You need people like Onesiphorus. But I think the heart of the faithful friends theme in this passage is clearly Paul and Timothy themselves. Look back at verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as I remember you. And I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And I remember your tears. We assume these are tears of the, when they parted last. I remember how hard it was when we parted. And I long to see you, he says. It's this deep longing, this emotional word there. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul is desperate to see his friend Timothy. He's desperate to see his friend Timothy. As a matter of fact, um, the word joy is only used once in the pastoral epistles. That's a set of, of books that includes 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The word joy only appears one time in all of those books, and it's right here. Paul says, you know what's going to bring me joy? is a faithful friend, seeing a friendly face, seeing that person that I know shares uh, affection for me and will care for me. As a matter of fact, you can read all about the relationship between Paul and Timothy throughout most of the New Testament, much of the New Testament. A lot of their relationship is recorded in the book of Acts, and we see Paul talk about Timothy fairly often in other epistles. In particular, I'm thinking of Philippians, where he says, I have no one like Timothy. Who, who looks out for the interests of God versus the interests of humans. And as a matter of fact, he says in, in Philippians 2, he says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served me in the gospel. What made for such a strong, solid relationship between Timothy and Paul? What's their shared experiences? It's true kindness, it's their history, it's their common commitment to Christ and his values, and it's a serious measure of affection. Because we need these kinds of faithful friends. We need the faithful friends who will stick with us in a hard time. We need the faithful friends who share our, our, our trust in Jesus Christ. We need faithful friends who we love and we know love us. And my guess is that just when you look at the statistics, this is something with, that our culture struggles with. Friendship is a thing that we struggle with, especially adults. But there's an intense need to have this kind of friendship in your life. So, we know that Paul is tracing this theme of, of the necessity of, of 
tending to our faith. We know that Paul is tracing a theme of the encouragement that comes from faithful friends, and obviously Paul is always going to trace a theme of the faithfulness of the one who calls. The faithfulness of the one who calls. You know, there's three key places in this passage where Paul kind of hits the brakes, and he says, don't forget what all of this is about. Don't forget the most important thing. As a matter of fact, if you look back down at verse 9 and 10, you know, Paul was in the middle of exhorting Timothy, and he just has to stop and remind them again what it is that he's exhorting them about, like what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so he says in verse 9, he says that this is the God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul has to pause here and to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul wants to make sure we're not doing any of this on our own. Paul wants to make sure we're not just kind of living a Christian lifestyle apart from the Christian truth. We're not just like following like blindly this what it means to be a Christian in the world. But he says, don't forget what this is about. It's about the saving, calling, electing grace of God who reaches out and calls people to be his own, who saves them for the work of Christ on the cross and brings them out of death into life, an immortal life at that. Paul wants to remind us what the heart of it all is. Friends, we do this because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And it's worth being a good friend and it's worth tending to your faith because of who Christ is. Paul also reminds Timothy that he has what he needs through the gift of God. But I think probably most famously in this whole chapter of Scripture is Uh, is down in verse 12, where Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul takes this moment to talk about himself, and he says, look, I'm not ashamed, And I'm doing these things and I'm persevering through my suffering because I know whom I believed. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I know what I believe. He could have said that. He could have said, yeah, I know, I know what all the right things to say. This is not what he says. Paul can say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm persevering in this. I am confident of these things, not because I know all of the right things, but I know Jesus. I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced, and here's the same metaphor, when he says, I'm convinced that he is able to keep the good deposit that he's given to me. Paul doesn't even think in Paul's own power, Paul can hold on to it, (laughs) right? Paul thinks that he needs Jesus to keep him steady, that he needs Jesus the one in whom he's trusted, to guard this deposit. Paul has an intense awareness that he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it through prison. He's not going to make it through the suffering. He could have never made it where he is if God wasn't guarding his own faith. So he can say these two things. He can say, Timothy, guard the faith that's been entrusted to you. And he says, by the way, I'm trusting God to guard the faith that's been entrusted to me because I know him. And friends, you and I as followers of Jesus, those things go together in us. We have responsibility 
to guard the truth that God has planted in us and the faith that we have. And then we have to call out to him and know him because he is guarding the faith in you. This is an image that's found throughout scripture. The image of a father watching over his children, making sure they make it safely. This image of God tending to his people, the good shepherd watching over them, that nothing escapes this. And think about how amazing it is for Paul to be in prison, to be in literal chains, and say, I'm confident because I know Jesus, and I know he's able to keep me safe. He's in prison, you guys. He's going through the hardest time. He's going through, he's went through amazing suffering. And he looks back at God and he says, I know him. And I know he's going to keep me safe. Friends, this is the faith that we need. We tend our faith. And we rely on faithful friends. But we have great confidence in the faithfulness in the one who has called. So if you need reminding, let me remind you this morning. Paul, it's very interesting, he obviously writes this letter to Timothy, but there's other places in it where he uses the plural uh, word for you. And so he knows we're overhearing. He knows that you need the same encouragement. He knows that I need the same reminders to trust the one who has entrusted to us faith. Let's pray. God, I do ask um, that you would give us the courage to tend to our faith. That you give us the wisdom to build faithful friendships. But that you would remind us all along that, you, that we rely on you. That knowing you means we can trust you with our very lives. Would that truth take root in our souls and empower us to live the life that you've called us to live? In Jesus' name, amen.